Welcome to the Commune Podcast. This is Jeff Krasnow. So many of you may receive my weekly Sunday Commusing article where I address a breadth of societal issues from the spiritual to the political. And on occasion, I will also record an audio version of these essays and release it as a bonus episode. So today's podcast is derived from my article inspired by the recent documentary, The Social Dilemma, which takes a hard look at the personal and societal implications of social media usage. If you're interested in receiving my weekly article, you can sign up at onecommune.com. So without further ado, here is this week's commusing entitled Antisocial Media. Come on, honey, not at the dinner table. Anyone with a teenager knows what this futile request refers to. And candidly, I raise my hand, guilty as charged, for sneaking an under-the-table peek at my Instagram between helpings. What did we used to do in the back seat on those long family drives? Sing songs? Play the alphabet game? Just be bored? Now, we furnish our beloved progeny with glowing screens that stream endless cat videos, and much worse. And they can't put them down. Of course, while they may never listen to us, They never fail to imitate us. How many of us, grown-ups, routinely and mindlessly grab our devices within five minutes of waking up? Be honest. But don't be too hard on yourself. You may be convinced of your own free will, but remember what you're up against. Deep Blue, a computer developed by IBM, beat Garry Kasparov in chess despite the fact that he had been playing since he was seven and reigned as world champion for 20 years. And that was in 1997 a year prior to the founding of Google. Imagine the supercomputer your self-determination is vying against now. Since I'll spend the balance of our time together indicting social media for fostering loneliness, diminishing self-esteem, decreasing attention spans, and tribalizing society, let me summarize some of its positive attributes first. Social media has given people voice particularly the marginalized. It's a brilliant and protein tool for organization from the Arab Spring to Lolly's wretched roller skating party. It's an outlet for creativity, democratizing its distribution. And of course, I love keeping up with my old high school buddies and their Pomeranians. Well, most of them. The intention of social media was to enhance life, to foster connection in an increasingly individuated world. Unfortunately, its existence is a good case for consequentialism, since it can be argued that nothing has atomized and polarized us more than the invective of Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. A couple of statistics to grok the scale of social media usage. Facebook currently has 2.7 billion users, a term that the recent documentary The Social Dilemma points out is otherwise reserved for consumers of drugs. Facebook has added 100 million accounts in each of the last two quarters. YouTube has 2 billion users. 79% of all internet users have their own YouTube account. Teenagers clock an average of 7 hours and 22 minutes of media screen time daily, not including time spending using screens for school and homework. While this barely seems feasible, given a day consists of 1,440 minutes, the typical cell phone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times every day. The study found that extreme cell phone abusers touch their devices more than 5,400 times daily. 
What transpires while we scan the endless scroll of phantoms held in our palms while often disregarding the three-dimensional beings in the room that we purportedly love? Increasingly, brands use social media to market their products. You barely need to slide your index finger to be bombarded with images of unattainable perfection, six-pack abdominals, and luxury getaway packages. Surfing through these targeted fantasies fosters a sense of lack or not-enoughness. Brands then market products, services, and trinkets to you to address these perceived efficiencies. And they do so with great efficacy, paying Facebook to place these images in the feeds of people who meet their demographic and psychographic profiles. If only, and only if, I look like this and have that, then I will be happy. You don't need to be a Buddhist to comprehend that this pursuit lacks fruit. The moment you've clicked buy now, you're already plotting your next conquest. You can't be happy in the future. Contentment is reserved for the here and now. Perversely, social media also becomes the forum in which we trot out curated, filtered, fish-lipped renditions of our own lives. These false projections are a double-edged sword, immiserating both poster and user. In search of approval, we anxiously await the flood of likes to swell our brains with dopamine while the scroller evaluates his woeful existence against a phony portrait of flawlessness. Comparison is the invisible thief of happiness. Neuroscientists are researching the impact of social media on the brain and discovering that positive interactions, such as someone liking your yoga selfie, trigger the same kind of chemical reaction that is caused by recreational drugs. To better understand our addiction to social media, one can draw on the work of American behavioral psychologist B.F. Skinner, who posited that actions which are reinforced tend to be repeated. Positive reinforcement strengthens a behavior by providing a consequence that is rewarding. For example, when you get a social media notification, your brain delivers a neurotransmitter called dopamine along a reward pathway, which makes you flush with joy. The same phenomenon is also associated with exercise, sex, food, gambling, and drugs, which can all become addictive when abused. Variable reward schedules up the stakes. When rewards are delivered randomly, like when a flurry of digital hearts light up your post, and checking for the reward is easy, the dopamine-triggering behavior becomes a subconscious habit. In terms of understanding the ramifications of the global and non-consensual psychological experiment of social media, we are barely glimpsing the tip of an iceberg. Here are some of the correlations that are most disturbing. There is growing evidence that social media increases loneliness and depression. Recent surveys indicate that 73% of heavy social media users consider themselves lonely. The pressures of social media appear to be particularly severe for teenage girls. Teenage suicide rates for girls since 2009 have grown 70% and 151% for girls 10 to 14. Similar increases apply for non-fatal hospital admissions among the same cohorts. The impacts of habitual overuse of social media on our personal wellness is alarming, but the deleterious impacts on our societal well-being may be even greater. Society has become increasingly politically polarized and tribalized. Forty years ago, less than 25% of us lived in landslide districts where one candidate won in a landslide over another. Now that number is 80%. 
we've bunkered ourselves in echo chambers so resonant that often all we hear are modifications of our own voice. Our ability to have healthy public discourse has eroded, and debate on social media most always devolves into all-caps screaming matches that only further divide and dehumanize. How does social media contribute to extremism and the widespread espousal of unfounded theories? This quote from tech philosopher Jaron Lanier succinctly sums up social media's core endeavor. He says, It's the gradual, slight, imperceptible change in your own behavior and perception that is the product. The modification of your ideas and how you act upon them are the product of this industry. This is what marketers, candidates, rogue groups, and special interests are paying companies like Facebook and YouTube to do. The primary key performance indicator for YouTube is watch time. The more time you spend in the YouTube ecosystem, the more ads they can serve up. The average visit length on YouTube is 40 minutes, and the algorithm is optimized to keep you there for as long as possible. YouTube garners approximately 1 billion hours of watch time per day, according to Guillaume Chazelot, an artificial intelligence expert and former Google engineer. More than 70% of views come from YouTube's recommendation engine. These personalized recommendations appear as thumbnails in the right margin on your desktop and below your video window on your mobile phone. The recommendations are personalized for you through AI that tracks your every view and the digital behavior of others like you. This may seem innocuous enough if you are like me, searching for Muji meditations and getting served up Eckhart Tolle or Deepak Chopra. Unfortunately, it's often significantly more insidious. For example, Chazlow reports that YouTube's algorithm detected an outlier trend that a small subsection of people watching fitness videos were also interested in pedophilia. So it began serving up pedophilia videos among the recommendations while people were watching their high-intensity interval trainings. It turns out the watch time on these lurid videos is quite high, and it appears that, in general, there is a correlation between extreme content and longer watch times. The algorithm is just doing what it is designed to do, keep people on the platform as long as possible. The problem with AI is the complete absence of moral filter. There is no ethical arbiter between creator and viewer. Fake news, which may include spurious conspiracies, proliferates across social media at a rate six times the truth. The content is often scandalous and elicits emotions or disgust. The value-neutral algorithm's affinity for sensationalist content may be the primary reason for the explosion of unfounded theories in movements like QAnon. Alex Jones, the founder of InfoWars, was a primary propagator of theories such as Pizzagate and birtherism, and that 9-11 and the Sandy Hook massacre were hoaxes. Before he was deplatformed by YouTube, his videos were recommended at a minimum 15 billion times. It is no wonder that some of these ideas have taken hold. I have little idea how much revenue, if any, YouTube or Alex Jones generated from these video views. However, at a $5 CPM, cost per thousand views, 1 billion views would yield $5 million. YouTube keeps 45% of this revenue and passes the balance to the creator. There is a financial incentive for social media to trade in dangerous and often specious content.
Many people no longer get their news from establishment sources. The endless drone of fake news has undermined trust in traditional media, and some of this skepticism is certainly valid. Increasingly, though, people are finding their news on social media from unreliable sources, including phony news channels, celebrities, and influencers who may have good intentions but little training in journalistic ethics. Influencers often unwittingly peddle weaponized misinformation and subsequently become funnels for more nefarious groups looking to undermine democracy and spread chaos. Sometimes it would be funny if it weren't so dangerous, like the TikTok influencer who went viral with a post claiming that the recent West Coast wildfires were planned, as evidenced by the fact that they stopped at the U.S.-Canadian border. She was referring to a U.S.-only databased map. She is reported to have 2 million followers. The proliferation of misinformation is aided and abetted by the algorithms. You can run this experiment yourself. For example, watch a Bill Maher or Robert Kennedy Jr. video about vaccination on YouTube. Both of these gentlemen are whip-smart, if sometimes too smart, and raise legitimate concerns about this issue. And as an aside, my wife points out, and I agree, that it is often the inability of the mainstream press to have intelligent public discourse on deserved topics that can push folks further towards the fringes. But if you watch these vaccine-skeptical videos for a few days, like them and comment on them, you will start to be fed new video recommendations, maybe an anti-mask wearing video, maybe a report that COVID fatalities are widely exaggerated. If you engage with this content, the recommendation engine will progressively serve you up more tantalizing and extreme fare until you're suddenly watching a 40-minute diatribe about the archons, an interdimensional race of reptilian beings who have hijacked the earth. Slowly, invisibly, Lanier's thesis takes root. Persuasive technology, algorithmically gamed against us, can make us feel as though we are doing the research and developing our own opinions. However, behavioral modification is often imperceptible to the user. I joked with Skyler that if you espouse the theory that through a mandated vaccine we'll all be chipped such that our whereabouts and proclivities will be surveilled by an elite cabal trying to instantiate a new world order, then we can all relax. We already pay $1,000 for a device and $100 per month voluntarily for this privilege. There is a server whirring in some nondescript bunker that knows me better than my wife of 32 years, and perhaps better than I even know myself. And access to this knowledge of who I am is being sold. This is perhaps the conspiracy behind all the others. Enough doom and gloom already. The key to addressing the deleterious impacts of social media in your own life is found in a familiar place, awareness. I've touted The Social Dilemma numerous times. It is a documentary chocked full of former Silicon Valley executives blowing whistles with the goal of spreading consciousness about social media. The Center for Humane Technology, led by co-founder Tristan Harris, created this documentary and is dedicated to articulating the problem and the path forward toward a new era of truly humane tech. In the meantime, here are my humble suggestions for navigating social media consumption and happiness. Meditate. It will help you stay present, conscious, and aware. 
actively cultivate in-person, face-to-face time wherever possible. Engage in nuanced, respectful conversation, especially with folks with whom you do not agree. Find ethical sources for news that rely on legitimate experts and multiple sources, independently fact-check, have minimal biases, and publish corrections. Read or listen to long-form content, which can capture nuance and expand attention span. Check out the podcast from the Center for Humane Technology. It's excellent. Be aware of modifications or radicalizations in your own behavior and ideologies. And limit your social media time. Turn off the Wi-Fi at night. Put your phones in a basket during dinner. Lastly, be present for each other. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Commune Podcast. As always, feel free to email me directly with your thoughts at jeffk at onecommune.com. That's all from The Commune for this week. My name is Jeff Krasno, and I'm here for you.